I'm Pastor Danielle. I'm one of the pastors here at Spark, and I'm really excited to be with you all this wonderful sunny afternoon. And thanks to everyone who's already contributed to our service this afternoon. It's fantastic. Since it is the first day of long summer, this long day we had this last year, and you guys are just feeling relaxed and cool, we thought we'd send you to summer school today. So... Kevin's helping me out, and over here we're going to get a couple of things in your hands. If you want a whole big Bible, I know, can you imagine a church with Bibles? Um, We have the NRSV updated edition, NRSVUE, and it's great and wonderful and fantastic, so you can grab one of these. If that's too heavy for you and complicated, we're going to be reading in Acts chapter 3, 4, and 5, and then we're going to be kind of turning to our neighbor and having a little conversation. So I'm going to pass the on some, Kevin's going to help. Some are NRSV and some are the complete Jewish Bible, which is a translation from Israel, actually, um, from a messianic Jewish rabbi. um, So meaning that he is a Jew and maintains his Jewish identity, but also believes in Jesus. And so he made a translation. And when he made that translation, he actually just passed away a couple years ago. So he's of blessed memory. This translation tries to keep some of the Hebrew Hebrew for you and me, which helps to remind us that the story that we're reading is a story that took place in another land, in another culture, in another time other than our own. And so you can still have the NRSV, you can compare. On the slides up above is going to be the complete Jewish Bible. And what we're going to do is we're going to have you kind of mix it up. So some of you are going to have the NRSV and some of you are going to have the complete Jewish Bible, and you're going to be able to have a conversation. But we're going to talk it through, and we're going to go through it. Now, Phoebe's got this fantastic, thank you, this is my TA. Um, that's, that's Kevin's new official title at Spark. <laughs> he used to, be, used to be, you know, pastor, thought leader, entrepreneur, tech guy. Now it's just TA. He's rising up in the ranks. Um, so Kevin's going to pass out a few of these to you, and we will kind of jump on in and have some fun and get started, okay? Now, when you do this, this is kind of like in our, if you've been in a synagogue, this is Torah study on a Shabbat morning. If you have been in a church, this is what you call Bible study. If that's too trauma-inducing for those of you who are deconstructing, just hang tight, okay? We'll just call it handout study, okay? So we're going to sit down, and what we want you to do is as you look through the text and as we read it, we want you to start gathering questions. So one of the things that they were amazed about with Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, they were amazed at his questions, okay? And so we want you to start asking good questions. And asking good questions is exactly what you should be doing when you are sitting and wrestling with text. And you'll be amazed once you're given permission to ask a question, like, who is Jesus? You know, why are we here this afternoon? All those kinds of things. When you start asking some of those questions, you'll start to discover that there are more questions and also some answers you might find. Now, in our Peter series, and for those of you who remember, Peter was one of, there's over there, over there. He was the TA, it's your first day or something. Um, 
In our Peter series, we had, we've been talking about how Peter is a disciple of Jesus. And so when we read through the Peter stories in the gospels, the stories that tell us about Jesus in the Bible, when we read through those, it tells us about Peter a lot. And we talked about, is that because maybe he was the loudest and he scored really high on extrovert or braggadocious or whatever Enneagram thing you want to assign to him or whatever? Or was it because he sort of resembling and sort of a model for all of the disciples that are there? We talked about how Peter started to be a fisherman and then he was called by Jesus to go and be his Talmud, his disciple, to be followers of this amazing rabbi in this first century in Galilee. We talked about how he really tried to figure out who Jesus was and he had some really strong claims for that. Jesus, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Like who was Jesus to Peter? And then we talked about how Peter kind of blew it, right? We talked about a massive failure. They built a whole church to it. And so now he was reinstated as what, a fisherman? No, Jesus says to him, listen, I know you denied me three times in the rooster code, but go, why are you still out here fishing? Go feed my sheep. So we talked about that last week. Now we're gonna move into what is Peter's life like now? Jesus has ascended into heaven and Peter's trying to figure out what to do. So if you'll go with us back to the wonderful service that Nidhi helped us, helped us sort of organize in your mind, or you can go back online later. We talked about for Pentecost or Shavuot, there was that outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and people were speaking in all different languages, and there was wind, and there was fire, and it was amazing. It was very similar to Sinai of 3,000 years before, or 2,000, however you want to count it. You guys count it, 1,000. And so now, though, Peter's still in Jerusalem, and guess what? He's not fishing, He's being a shepherd. Something amazing has happened in Acts chapter two, and now we're gonna open up to Acts chapter three. Now, when we start to look at Peter and the life of Peter, we wanna remember that the book of Acts tells us some very important things about Peter's behavior. So up till now, we've seen him as fumbling disciple, loud disciple, confused disciple, denying disciple, and now back again to like good speeches in Jerusalem. Peter's first mentioned in the post-resurrectional list of the 11 in Acts 1, so he gets primacy over all the disciples. Peter guides the process, leading to the election of Matthias to the place felt left vacant by Judas. Peter's a preacher, both within the Jerusalem church and later, as we'll see next week with Pastor Omer, to those outside. Peter is a miracle worker, and some of the miracles that he does really seem to resemble the work that Jesus did too. Peter is the object of miraculous divine care, like some amazing stuff's gonna happen and we'll talk about, and he receives visionary or heavenly guidance, and he's a spokesperson for the whole Jerusalem community. Peter ends up really stepping into, not Peter the fisherman, but Peter the shepherd role here in Jerusalem. Now let's give you a little bit of orientation to where they are and then we'll open up the text. My amazing TA helped me earlier, and we have this fantastic, <laughs> wonderful overview of what the Temple Mount would have looked like, scholars, archeologists, best guess, um, in Jesus's day. So huge platform, Temple Mount, right there in the middle, I wanna do that one more time because it was so cool that TA did such a good job. So we're moving in here from the southern entrance, looking up, towards the north, and you can start to see the Temple Mount there facing east, because God always comes from the east. And then on the right there, right there, that building is Solomon's Colonnade. Okay, and over then towards Mount of Olives. Here we're gonna look up to the southern steps. You can still see, and come with us in February, 
because you can see a lot of the remains here, and you can actually walk up these steps still today. Unfortunately, the doors that you see there have been sealed over, but you can go up. They were not sealed over that long ago, so we still have some photos showing those interior corridors. And that would be the pilgrim's entrance walking on up into the Temple Mount platform. By the way, just quick plug, we do have many of you already signed up for our Israel tour February 18th. If you signed up, would you just raise your hand so we can, all the other people can be jealous? So listen, we already have a good group, and so lots of fun folks. We have about 16 people already signed up. So if you have any questions, Ask them. They've never been there. They're going to tell you all the good stuff. I'm just going. We'll have a meeting and we'll get you all together and we can ask questions. It's going to be lots of fun, but I'm really excited that so many of you are going to be able to join us this next February. One last plug. My dear friend, Ellen Bob, the executive director of Eitz Chaim, is coming on the tour. She said, I've never been to Israel before with a group of Christians. I've always gone with my own tribe, and I would really like to hear what you're going to say. I'm like, fantastic. She's like, so can I just, you know, sit at the back of the bus occasionally and shout out things like the Talmud says this? I'm like, no, front of the bus, and please shout all the time. It's going to be amazing. So bonus round, you're going to get another extra bonus teacher on the tour in February and one of my dearest friends. So really excited about all of that. God willing, God willing. Okay, so let's start to open up just our text really quick. You've got Acts chapter 3. We're going to look at it. And I just want you to note, there's, we don't really know where the gate beautiful is. It could be this gate, which is now called the golden gate and is sealed over it could, the lower one in the wall. It could maybe be the one up inside towards the temple court. But a lot of scholars are going to suggest it's actually that gate that we saw at the southern steps. We don't actually know which one was called the beautiful gate. Maybe it was just the one that was really pretty that day. Uh, when you walked up inside, I'm the beautiful one today. Uh, when you walk up inside, you would see actually quite lovely, gorgeous beauty entering up on into the Temple Mount platform. So it's a, it's a good contender for that. And they've actually found a capital, like the top of a pillar from Solomon's colonnade, from Solomon's porch, and that's going to appear in our story too. So I wanted to give you some pictures in your head as we start to go into Acts chapter 3. All right, let's look together. One afternoon at three o'clock, the hour of Mincha prayers, as Kepha and Yochanan were going up to the temple, a man crippled since birth was being carried in. Every day, people used to put him at the beautiful gate of the temple so that he could beg from those going into the temple court. When he saw Kepha and Yochanan about to enter, he asked them for some money. But they stared straight at him, and Kepha said, look at us. The crippled man fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And Kepha said, I don't have silver, I don't have gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of the Messiah, Yeshua of Nazareth, Nazareth, walk. And taking hold of him by his right hand, Kepha pulled him up, and instantly his feet and ankles became strong, so that he sprang up and stood a moment and began walking. And then he entered the temple court with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And this is exactly one of the first Bible stories I ever knew because I learned this song. Anybody with me? Go ahead, T.A. Kevin. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He asked for alms and held out his palms. And this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He went walking and leaping and praising God, walking and leaping and praising God. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Okay, anybody else learn that song growing up? 
Please, hands high. Thank oh, you very much. Oh, just two. Three, did four. Go, oh, I got a couple. Did it get increasingly faster? Yes. And then you had to like, and walking and leaping. At the end, you were just like this. Yeah. So let's, come on. Ready? All right. Here we go. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning? We're going back. Ready? Peter and John would pray. They never lived in on the way. He asked for all to tell his palms. And this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have in my in the name of Jesus Christ, in Nazareth, Christ, I've walk. He went walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising God in the name of Jesus Christ. Nazareth, Christ, I've walk. He went walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising God. Nazareth, Christ, I've walk. Woo! Yay! Very good. Summer school, we did it. Okay. Fantastic. Oh, sorry. <laughs> saw this guy walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the same man who had formerly sat begging at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were utterly amazed and confounded at what had happened to him. While he clung to Kepha and Yohanan, all the people came running in astonishment toward them in Solomon's colonnade. Again, that eastern side of the colonnade. Now, what I want to tell you as we kind of fast forward through the song again, is that that colonnade was a place where lots of rabbis would gather to teach their disciples. We have stories from the Talmud and the Mishnah and other places and and Josephus and even in your gospels, we have stories about how Jesus would sit and teach. So Peter is now doing the same thing, Peter Kepha, he's doing the same thing he saw Jesus do. Seeing this, as this guy shows up, Kepha addressed the people, men of Israel, Why are you amazed at this? First of all, that seems like an unreasonable question. It's amazing. Even if you think God can do that, and you're sure God can do it, it's amazing. That guy couldn't walk, now that guy can walk, and all he had to do was say, can I, would you please give me some money? And they're like, we don't have money, but we'll just say, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk, and that's gonna happen. But he's like, why are you surprised? Why are you amazed? Or how do you stare at us as if we had made this man walk through some power or godliness of our own? The God of Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Yeshua. The same Yeshua you handed over and disowned before Pilate even after he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and innocent one and instead asked for the reprieve of a murderer. You killed the author of life. That's a great opener, by the way. Like you want to make friends, influence people. You don't start with, you killed the author of life. And when we were looking this up in the Greek, actually, I know that's not interesting to everybody. We were kind of sort of interested in it. It's actually like the beginner of life. And it's a very interesting connection back to like, in the beginning was the word. It's just kind of like you, you took out the beginner of life. And then Kepha continues, Peter continues, but God has raised him from the dead, and of this we are his witnesses. It is through putting trust in his name that his name has given strength to this man whom you see and know. Yes, it is the trust that comes through Yeshua, which has given him this perfect healing in the presence of you all. Now, brothers, I know that you did not understand the significance of what you were doing, neither did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had announced in advance when he spoke through all the prophets, namely, that his Messiah was to die. Therefore, 
Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be erased, so that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord's presence and he may send the Messiah appointed in advance for you, that is Yeshua. He has to remain in heaven until the time comes for restoring everything as God said long ago when he spoke through the holy prophets. Doesn't it sound right now that Peter's like, I heard a really good sermon. It was told on the road to Emmaus. I've really thought about that sermon. Do you guys remember that story? Jesus shows up after the resurrection and he's walking and two of the disciples are so upset and they're leaving town. They're like, we're out of Jerusalem. And he's walking on the road to Emmaus. And there he says, they're like, hey, how's it going? And they're like, haven't you heard what's been going on the whole time? Like, it's like, who are you? How do you not know? And they said, here's what's happened. And Jesus was just killed. But now we hear these rumors that he's risen from the dead. And he goes, oh yeah, this was supposed to happen. And beginning with the Torah and the prophets, he goes through and he explains it all. Well, apparently that sermon got around. Whatever Jesus, which I really would like to hear more of that, let's see if we can hear some from Peter. So Peter is now, Kepha is now, sharing a bit of this. And he says, For Moshe himself said, Adonai will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers, and you are to listen to everything he tells you. So he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 18. And everyone who fails to listen to that prophet will be removed from the people and destroyed. Indeed, all the prophets announced these days, starting with Shmuel, which is Samuel, and continuing through all who followed. You are the sons of the prophets, and you are included in the covenant but which God made with our fathers when he said to Avraham, by your seed will all the families of the earth be blessed. So it is to you first that God has sent his servant, whom he has raised up, so that he might bless you by turning each one of you from your evil ways. This is a very compassionate and passionate speech that's reaching into all of these echoes and grabbing hold of all of these different resonances from Peter's own holy text. Remember, the New Testament's not written yet. It's being written. They're living it. Kepha, Peter, and Yohanan, John, were still speaking to the people when the Kohanim, does anyone know what a Kohan is? A Kohanim? So the priests. Good. Yeah. If you meet somebody with the last name Kohen today, they can say, oh, I'm of the priestly line of Aaron, right? The Kohanim, the captain in charge of the temple police, and the Tzedukim. Does anyone know what that word is? So this is where we get the word Sadducees. So tzedukim is has the resonance of the righteous ones, where you do tzedakah, you do something righteous for somebody, right? So the Sadducees were there, and the captain in charge of the temple police and the tzedukim came upon them, very annoyed that they were teaching the people the doctrine of the resurrection from the dead and offering Yeshua, Jesus, as proof. Why would they be annoyed? Why are they annoyed that they're teaching about the resurrection of the dead? Why would specifically the Sadukim, the Sadducees, be annoyed that the resurrection of the dead theology is being taught? Why? They don't believe it. They're like, there is no resurrection of the dead. We don't believe in angels. We don't believe in demons. We don't believe in anything other than the first five books of Moses, the first books of Torah. And we certainly don't believe that people rise from the dead. And in fact, most scholars think that the Sanhedrin, the ruling body, which we'll hear about in just a minute, was almost, it had a vast majority of people from, this, from the Sadducee sect. And that in the evening that Jesus was on trial, no Pharisees were there. It was primarily Sadducees who were mostly connected with the temple. 
The temple police arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in custody overnight. However, many of those who heard the message trusted, and the number of men alone was about 5,000. Let's keep on in Acts 4. By the way, I'm gonna stop right here. You're good students. What questions do you have already? Anyone? It's okay if you don't have them yet. There's gonna be plenty of time. Yes? Is a number 5,000 a call back to other parts of scripture? Isn't that a good question? Interesting. I don't know. Yes? Yeah, why is Peter getting authority to be a teacher? Yeah, who gave him that authority? Should we tell you? I think he gets that authority from Jesus, right? So he says, all right, you now go out to all the world and make Talmudim, just like I I showed you. Teach them to obey everything I commanded you. Have them do mikvah, do ritual immersion, baptism. Yeah, go do that. So, so Jesus has given Peter authority, and certainly, remember, don't forget Acts chapter 2. Crazy, miraculous, Holy Spirit event. And it landed on all of them, right? So the next day, the people's rulers, elders, and Torah teachers assembled in Jerusalem, that's Jerusalem, along with Anan, the Kohen Hagadol, Kayafa, Yohanan, Alexander, and the other men from the family of the Kohen Hagadol, the great, the high priest, And they had the emissaries, the apostles, stand before them and asked, by what power or in what name did you do this? This is a very interesting question, right? Sort of who has given you the authority to be here? And how, what power are you using? What name do you use? And then Kepha filled with the Ruach HaKodesh. That means the Holy Spirit. Ruach is wind or spirit and HaKodesh is the holy, okay? filled with Ruach HaKodesh, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being examined today about a good deed done for a disabled person, if you want to know how he was restored to health, then let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that it is in the name of the Messiah, Yeshua from Nazareth, whom you had executed on a stake as a criminal, but whom God has raised from the dead, and this man stands before you perfectly healed. You want to know how this happened? Jesus is alive. That's his answer. You want to know how that person got healed? It's because Jesus is alive. This Yeshua is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is, who else talked about that verse from Isaiah? Jesus did. He's like, by the way, right? He talks about that in Matthew. There is no salvation and there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by whom we must be saved. And when they saw how bold Kepha and Yohanan were, even though they were untrained Amha'arits, like there was this like, well, they're just from the country of Galilee, even though that was like one of the seats of rabbinic studies up in Sapporo and other places in Tiberia. They were amazed and they also recognized them as having been with Yeshua with Jesus. Moreover, since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there beside them, there was nothing they could say to discredit the healing. They're like, well, I've known that guy. He's been here for 40 years. I can't discredit what's happened. Look, he's standing, he's walking and leaping and praising God. Like we just, we sang the song. It's a true story. They're amazed. And they recognized him as having been with Jesus. Now, when we talk about Peter and when we talk about who Peter is and how Peter's going to go out into Asia Minor and the letters that he's going to write the church, you have to remember that who Peter is is a person that is shaped by his time with Jesus and the miracles that he saw and the teachings that he was under. But more than that, he is a student of his rabbi. 
And so all of those three years of preparation where he walked around trying to imitate the rabbi, imitate the master's life, it's apparently, it took hold. I mean, maybe a little help from the Holy Spirit too, yay? But yeah, this is pretty good, right? So they told them to step away from the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, while they discussed the matter privately. And they said, what can we do with these men? They asked each other. Why anyone in Yerushalayim can see that a remarkable miracle has come about through them. We can't possibly deny that. But to prevent it from spreading any further among the people, let's warn them not to speak anymore to anyone in this name. So they call them in again and they order them under no circumstances to speak or teach in the name of Yeshua. Don't talk about Jesus. Okay, it's just like the HR department in Silicon Valley. It's okay. Okay, so Kepha and Yochanan answered, you must judge whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God. As for us, we can't help talking about what we have actually seen and heard. Like this isn't just a story for them. This, they're the eyewitnesses. Like we saw this happen. Not just this one guy. We've been watching this for three years. We've been watching people healed and restored and made whole. We've been watching people rise from the dead. We can't not talk about what we've seen and what we've heard. And they threatened them some more, but finally let them go. And they couldn't punish them because of the people, for everyone was praising God over what had happened since the man who had been miraculously healed was more than 40 years old. So if you're over 40, you should know that you're already like amazing. By the way, I'm 50, so I'm really kicking it, right? Whether that's his exact age or whether 40 is, you know, continuing to have resonance in our holy scriptures and in our Bible about how we see completeness or wholeness. But this guy was old and he had suffered for a long time and now he's made whole. Meanwhile, through the emissaries, many signs and miracles continue to be done among the people. And united in mind and purpose, the believers met in Shlomo Solomon's colonnade. So every single day, they're still back there at the temple in Jerusalem. Right next to the royal stoa, where the Sanhedrin meets, those people who had just met and said, please stop talking. Please stop talking about this. All we're going to ask you to do is just be quiet about that. They're going to go, okay, great. So we're going to set up shop right next door. Sounds good? Because um, that's where Jesus taught too. The believers met in Solomon's colonnade and no one else dared to join them. Nevertheless, the people continued to regard them highly. So I think that they kind of like are a bit of a threat. And throngs of believers are now going to be added to the Lord, both men and women. They went so far as to bring the sick into the streets and lay them on mattresses and stretchers so that at least Kepha's shadow might fall on them as he passed by. Crowds had gathered from the towns around Yerushalayim, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And every one of them was healed. What a commotion. Right? I mean, we think we have like paparazzi situation going on like at the Oscars. I mean, these people are like, hey, is Peter's shadow going to walk by? Let's make sure we come from all over and try to get near wholeness and completeness. But the Kohen Hagadol and his associates who were members of the party of the Tzedukim were filled with jealousy. And they arrested the emissaries and put them in the public jail. But during the night... An angel of Adonai opened the doors of the prison, led them out and said, go stand in the temple court and keep telling the people about this new life. Do you guys think that's hilarious? I laughed out loud when we were reading this earlier. Hey, I'm gonna, you've, you're in prison because you've been telling this story. So I'm going to get you out and I want you to go right back to where you were and do the same thing that got you imprisoned. Okay, sound good? Like, I don't know if, if I were there in that prison, I might be thinking, 
I gotta get out of here, right? This did not end well for my rabbi. And then the next thing I'm thinking is, oh good, thank God, you sent an angel, I'm free, I'm out. Yeah, no, go back and keep doing the same thing that's irritating those folks. And after hearing that, guess what they did? They entered the temple area about dawn and began to teach. Now this was one of the second stories I knew really well growing up as a kid in the Bible because of this amazing woman, Amy Grant. You can see about how dated this album is based on the you know, misty fog glow going on on the 80s hairstyle. But Amy Grant sang a song called Angels. constantly on repeat until the tape broke. I loved it. The next line she goes on like, God only knows how, I could sing the whole thing for you. Um, Many times a reckless car ran out of gas before it came my way near Mrs. Olorami. And I loved the idea of thinking that, that God was looking out for me. That there were angels that were paying attention. Messengers of God. It's just what the word means, right? It's not like cherubs in the sky with the little wings and the diapers, but but God's sent ones, God's messengers to say, are you in a tight spot? I can help you out. You're not alone in this. And it felt good to know that I wasn't alone, especially because I had a very overactive imagination. I was afraid of all the things that the kids told on the playground, all the scary things. I can't even say them now because I'd be so scared. And so to know that God was with me. And I knew this story, not because I'd read it in the book of Acts. I knew it because of Amy Grant. So thank you, Amy. It's fantastic. Okay, so they have been set free. And after they get set free, they go back to the temple area about dawn and begin to teach. Which I have to say, that part was not in the Amy Grant song. I really thought like the angels came, they got you out, and you just got to go. I didn't know that that meant you'd have to go back and continue to do the work. Now the Kohen Haggadol and his associates came and they called a meeting of the Sanhedrin, that is of all of Israel's whole assembly of elders, and sent to the jail to have them brought. So it was like, okay, go get those guys we put there yesterday. But the officers who went did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the jail securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened it, we found no one inside. And when the captain of the temple police and the head Kohanim heard these things, they were puzzled and wondered what would happen next. 
I think that's a reasonable question. Now what? Yesterday, they're healing some guy who's been unable to walk for 40 years. That caused a commotion. We thought we sorted that out. Then we said, okay, no more talking. Go to jail. They're back out. What's happening now? Now what's going to happen? And someone came and reported to them, listen, I'll tell you what's next. The men you ordered put in prison are now standing in the temple court teaching the people. What? We just told them explicitly not to do that. The captain and his officers went, brought them, but not with force because they're afraid of being stoned by the people. Remember, this is not that long after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected, right? Then we've had all of this happening. We had Shavuot, you know, 40, 50 days after Pentecost and after Passover, and now we're here. No wonder there's some commotion going on. And Rome is still there. Rome's there with all its might. So they conducted them to the Sanhedrin where the Kohen Haggadol demanded them, we gave you strict orders to not do the thing that you're exactly doing, right? We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Look here, you filled Yerushalayim with your teaching. Moreover, you're determined to make us responsible for this man's death. I think Peter's like, yes. Um, Kaif and the other emissaries answered, we must obey God, not men. The God of our fathers raised up Yeshua, whereas you men killed him by having him hanged on a stake. God has exalted this man at his right hand as ruler and savior in order to enable Israel to do tshuva, repentance, and have her sins forgiven. We are witnesses to these things. So is the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So we're going to stop there for a moment. I want you to grab your things, your papers, your scripture. And if you have questions, comments, thoughts, concerns, we would like to take a few of those now. What are the things you're wondering about in this story? Yes. It seems like in this culture there's a widely understood idea or institution of speech or teaching in the name of someone. I think in our modern culture we mostly understand that in reference to in the name of Jesus, but I can't think of other examples. Yes, that's a great, so the great note is that it seems that there's a habit of saying, let's teach in the name of a particular person, right? Yeah, in fact, you often did not really teach in the name of somebody dead. You taught in the name of somebody alive. You also didn't do immersion in the name of a dead rabbi. You did it under the name of somebody. These people believe what they're selling. They're not saying, we just think this is a nice idea. They're operating in the name, in the power of Jesus. That's where they see their authority. Yeah. Right, right. I'm being told that I'm going to be persecuted. So what do I do with Okay, great. So what is the story telling me? Is it telling me I'm just supposed to go and do these things, like kick away cultural sensitivities or any of those type of things? I'm going to do it whether or not somebody likes it. And uh, all the other things you want to extrapolate out. So first thing, I want to stop and also I want to invite the TKA Kevin up because he also has some great thoughts about this. But the first thing, I want to stop right now and say, I don't think that's what the story ever wanted you to do. I don't think that the story ever thought as the writers were writing it down, hey, there's going to be this wonderful and amazing Megan that's going to sit and study this story 2,000 years from now. I want to make sure she knows she should be as obnoxious as heck at her workplace about Jesus and not take no for an answer. So I'm going to write this in there exactly like that. I don't think that's what it's supposed to tell you. Kevin? Your, your question is an immediate question, Megan, of now what do I do? I would encourage us all. Part of the reason why Spark has existed since its inception 
is to do our best to try to get our minds back into an original context and not make the leap forward so quickly. And one of the things that's happening in this early time is that everybody is doing cultural translation. What Jesus did was culturally like blow blue people's minds. Like what, what he, was he doing? And now he's having to take, um, he and his disciples are having to take that and culturally translate that into a religious culture of the first century. And then later on, because we're going to talk about this, mm-hmm. Pastor Omer, later, and then when we get to letters, you're going to see that Peter and Paul are going to take that and having to translate at that into a Gentile culture, into a Greco-Roman culture of the first century. And then 300 years later, you're going to have to translate that into a Roman imperial culture with Constantine, Theodosius, etc., 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 and now we're having to do the same. So it's not so much um, necessarily, uh, what do I do? Th- that, question, that question can only arise out of doing the work of what was the cultural translation that they were doing? That would be my encouragement to consider. And what appears to be happening, this is just my, fr- I mean, there's lots of different possibilities to consider, is that what appears to be happening is that the religious people had a certain expectation of how the world is, how the world works. And what Peter and the early disciples are attempting to do is, you don't actually know how the world works. Because we've had an experience within the context of this world that doesn't meet the expectations that you think. And the religious folks are trying to cram the events of Jesus' life into their worldview. And so part of the question is actually somewhat relevant to because Silicon Valley has a perspective of how the world is supposed to work. Um, Modern, democratic, western, educated societies have a conception of how the world is supposed to work. And for those of us who are Christians who have had an experience with Jesus, who have studied this, who have participated in faith, say, wait a second, I don't think that is exactly how the world works. And now you're trying to actually have a a debate in your own mind of how do I translate that? So your question is actually a very good one. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to demean it. It just comes along the same line of all of that work. What is, what are they trying to translate? And then what are we attempting to do? How are we attempting to translate into our particular culture? The last thing I would say is, I love your question also. Um, Multiple times, I hear questions that are themselves the answer. If you ever stop asking the question, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to? You've lost. You've come to a certain place of, oh, this is just how you... I know that giving tracts to people is exactly how you're supposed to evangelize. You know, that's from our small group that we've had. And once you have the answer, you've lost the plot. Because what these people were doing was constantly translating over and over. Oh, to these people I need to speak differently. To this culture I need to speak differently. In this context I need to speak differently. Don't lose the question. The question is brilliant. What do I now do with this? How do I think about this early Jesus movement in my current context and culture? The TA has become the master. I'm just joking. (laughs) Thank you. It was fantastic. I think what I would just push on a little bit is to say that when I say I don't think the text was written for us to ask that question necessarily, like how do I apply it? I think we at least should start and say, what does this tell me about Peter? And what does it tell me about this early movement? They really believed it. They had some incredible experiences. And they're willing to die for this. So it's not made up, it's not a metaphor, it's not an idea, because they're going to die for it. 
And they are willing, in fact, the, one of the other, we, I don't think we included it in this little part right here, but if you keep reading in your text, in the ones in your hands, it says that after they're released from prison, after the Sanhedrin meets and they have this whole conversation, they're like, okay, you know, what should we do? And Rabbi Gamliel has a conversation, like, we should just let this go. They say, okay, we'll let it go, we'll see if it's of God, we can't stop it, and if it's not of God, it'll peter out. We'll let it go, and this says, okay, we'll let these guys go, first flog them. So the first, they're going to get let go, but they're going to be beaten first. And it says that they run away grateful that they were considered worthy of that kind of suffering. So within 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 days, the value of suffering has become held high. The humiliation of the cross and the suffering there has already become a value. I can suffer too, that, that suffering has redemptive power. So I, I would at first, what we wanted to spend time opening it all up and reading it all together, is because first of all, we want you to feel empowered to sit down and open this up and ask questions exactly like you're doing. What about this, what about that? And see if you can find the answers and just mull it over. You can do this just like pastors can do it, right? The only difference is we have a few more recipes. We've learned how to cook, that's all. We can do some, some of the work. But it's the work of the Spirit, and the text is the same. We want you to be able to do it because it belongs to you, and the questions are important. And it does change how we live. And we also want you to hold on to it because it tells us more of who Peter is. So when we get to studying First and Second Peter, we can go, oh, I wonder if he's talking about that crazy experience he had. Because he had some miraculous things happen to him. So first thing I think we learn about, at least for Peter, is that he's an amazing teacher. He did sit at the feet of the master, of the master Jesus. He learned from Jesus, and he learned how to teach. And now he's in the same place teaching day after day. We also learned that he didn't just learn from Jesus how to teach. He learned how to do miracles. And I think the first thing that we would all say is, well, then do I get to do miracles too, right? And are they still happening today? I, I think that's a reasonable question. And is it only for those of us who are specially anointed or have the gift of healing and we can, or have a very special experience with the Holy Spirit? I don't know about you, but maybe we all have stories that we could share even in this room of ways in which we've seen Jesus show up for us. Miracles. And maybe they're not all the same kind that would be here, but I don't think I've, maybe just hang out and start asking some questions because I could tell you several. That big, terrible earthquake down in Southern California, I was in that one. I was safe and fine in my Santa Monica apartment. But there was a woman that I had been working with and she, has, she, was, she lived in God's outside house, she said. And her name was Danielle also. Mine is Danielle Parrish, her name is Danielle Peterson. She had no voice. Um, beautiful woman. She wore all white, pristine, constantly, even on, as she lived on the streets in God's outside house. And that earthquake hit around five in the morning. I don't know if you remember I'm Martin Luther King. It was, it was fortunate a lot of people weren't on the road yet, but it was early. She, lived, she ended up living with me. I invited her to come live with me for a few years, so she would tell this story often. Right before the earthquake hit, an angel showed up to her tapped her on the shoulder, woke her up, and told her to move away from the wall she was sleeping next to. And she did. And then the earthquake hit and that wall fell down. So, well, that's an interesting story. I mean, that's somebody I know, right? 
And then I was doing ministry years and years ago, and one of my dear friend's husbands had been diagnosed with terminal stomach cancer. They had three kids, a baby, and then two olders. And I was trying to give them some time together where they wouldn't feel pressured, and we had not been able to make the schedules sort of line up. And it ended up being like on a Tuesday in the middle of the week when the kids were gonna have to be back at school the next morning, and I was like, I'll take them for the night. And I drove them 45 minutes out to the coast um, where my, I, my family has a home, and, and just, again, none of it made sense. They were not gonna get a lot of time there. We're just gonna, it was all weird, and I was like, yeah, okay, we'll make it work. And at 4.30 in the morning, this is before cell phones, by the way, um, I was sitting there and kind of in a doze and asleep, and I started hearing singing. And I heard over and over again, this is out in like the woods, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And it just kept happening over and over and over again. And I, it's groggy, and I thought, I'm gonna have to tell my, my aunt that she's got angels singing on her property. And I fell back to sleep, and then the phone rang, and he had just passed away. I mean, I don't know what your stories are, I mean, those miracles, I don't know. They felt weird. And then my crazy story, I'm gonna take three extra minutes to share today because, and I already told Lauren this story this week. But God was just, has God ever like bothered you? Like, like insisted on getting your attention by the bothering is what I mean? So last fall, and I know it was fall because the part of the story I'm gonna tell you, I was in a hurry. And it was seven o'clock and I needed to get my kid dinner and I didn't have a lot of time and I had to stop by the library, Mitchell Park Library, really quick. And I had to go fast. And I did not want anybody to stop me. We have to go, go, go. So I see somebody there who is um, definitely gonna stop me. And I'm trying my best to avoid this person. Because, not because I don't love them, but I just don't have time. It's gonna take 20 to 30 minutes. They're a slow talker and it's gonna take a long time. And so I grab my 50 books that I have ready, and I'm check, I've checked them all out at the place where nobody can see me, and I'm sneaking out, right, like through the checker, and I buzz. Like, so now not only have I been found, I've like alerted the entire people in my presence, and the library's shouting me, it's okay, it's okay, I can tell you which book it is. I'm like, shh, let's just, let's just try to get out the door, because the person I'm trying to avoid is right there, and I'm trying to get out the door, and they're like, it's okay, it's a book called You're So Amazing. I'm like, fantastic. So it's like this affirmation book. It's really beautiful about just beautiful joy. <laughs> anyway, I was like, okay, got it. So like, now I have to go and I have to find it and I have to check it out and do the whole thing. So of course I've been seen and found. So the person comes over and they're like, slow talking. And how are you and how do I know you and did you know this? And I'm like, yes, yes, okay. And it turns out, and we know each other through the connection here at Eitz Chaim, and they are trying to figure out how to get to the High Holy Day services, which I'm going to and I have all the information for. So they're like, but do you go to the synagogue? I said, no, I don't go to the synagogue, but I'm at the church, I'm a pastor. So the librarian's like, wait, so you're the pastor, but you know the synagogue schedule. I'm like, yeah, I got it. So the librarian's like, oh, this is really beautiful. And she's starting to cry and weep. And the person who's here talking to me in slow time, and I'm still trying to like, uh-huh, she's bent down and she's tied Phoebe's shoe for her and she's taking care of me and she's talking about, and then she just stops and she goes, do you know what? You are such a gift from God. You are God's light. And she's starting to speak into my life. 
I was like, okay, got it. Like I got called out of all the 50 books, I got called out on the You're So Amazing. And I got called out by this woman I was trying to avoid who had a message for me from the Lord. And she just preached into my life. And I was like, okay, cool. And so I'm like walking out of the car, like quiet. And Phoebe's like, mommy, who was that? And what's happening? And why is that? Like, and the librarian's crying, everyone's crying. Um, I don't know how to explain that. Besides the fact that I think God is alive and active and at work in my life. That that, that angel song I sang years and years ago stuck with me. And, and that there is miraculous, unexplained things that happen in our world. What I know about Peter is that he doesn't just like believe this. As in, I think this is a nice thing to believe. I was raised by my family who also believed this about Jesus, and so now I will believe it too. Peter will die because of what he believes. He will get out of jail and go straight back and keep doing the thing that got him into jail in the first place because he believes that Jesus is alive. He knows it. He knows that Jesus is alive and that nothing will ever be the same again. That everything has changed because of this one thing. Jesus is alive. And in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, rise up and walk. I don't have silver, I don't have gold, but everything I have I'm gonna give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. In the name of Jesus Christ, come alive. In the name of Jesus Christ, know that you are loved and known and called and rescued and redeemed and saved. We're all here because Peter and the other disciples and the women at the tomb told this story and not just told it, but believed it, knew it, and suffered and died for you and I to know it too. When we turn and we look at Peter and his teachings, we need to know his whole life was changed, radically changed. Remember we talked about last week, he was back at the Sea of Galilee. He was back fishing. He's like, that, that guy's dead. We're done. I don't know what to do with this story anymore. And Jesus comes up and says, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Take care of my flock. Feed my sheep. And Peter's like, got it. And he goes straight back to Jerusalem. And that's exactly what he does. And we get to do that too. Now's the time in our service where we turn towards our communion table. It sits in the center here because this is not our table. It's not our bread and it's not our wine. It belongs to him. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, giving it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Come, all who are thirsty. Come, all who are hungry. The table has been prepared for us. And all are welcome. In the name of Jesus, all are welcome at this table.